Welcome to the worship this evening. Let's now praise our Lord by singing from Psalm 100 in the Scottish Psalter, page 362, here using the book and the first version. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. The whole psalm to God's praise. Let's draw near the Lord in prayer. Lord, we have so many reasons to encourage one another to come and praise your name. You are, after all, our creator. We wouldn't be here without you. You are sustaining us in life moment by moment. You are the God to whom we are accountable because... We have been made in your image and you expect great things from us. And when we stand before you on that great day, we know, Lord, that it's then we'll be so thankful to have Jesus Christ by our side 
the one who has stood in our place, taken our griefs and our sorrows, died for our sins, and ensured that every sin, all of our sin, have been laid upon him and forgiven for all of time and all of eternity. O oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to praise you for this. We are ashamed, Lord, of just how little praise there can sometimes be in our hearts, caught up as we are with so many different things in the world. You must look down upon us. You must look upon us from within our own hearts indeed and wonder why it is that so little attention is paid to you, to your gospel, to your grace, to your word, to your spirit, even to your people. Lord, you ask us to live lives consecrated to you. And we know that that's a great honour to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Lord, help us to fulfil that great calling, those of us who are in Christ. We know that you have left us here for such very good reasons. You are people that you want us to speak to, people that you want us to live before, people perhaps you want us to suffer before. You have so many things that you have set in place that we are meant to do. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to do it. May we, Lord, not succumb to the world's ways, but may we always be reshaped so that we are following the ways of the Church of Jesus Christ. You have asked us, Lord, to walk in ways that are holy and righteous and just, you have asked us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in every way possible. And we know that that's so that we can bring honour and glory to you, but then also to be landmarks in the world that people can look to and be ready to hear a message from. Will you remember, Lord, any, any in the congregation tonight who may be going through difficult times, lonely times, times when they have to adjust to the loss of loved ones, where they know only too well of the absence in a home, and they are longing to, to know and to hear a voice that cannot be known or heard on this side of the Jordan. Lord, be near them, in their loneliness. Give them grace, Lord, to, to labour in love. And we ask that you would bless their heartache to them so that they would be a blessing to others. How good it is, Lord. When we were younger, heaven was so blank. We only knew that you were there and the angels but now heaven is so full names, so many names of people that we 
new here on earth and you took them home. We spoke with them, we conversed with them in Christ, we walked with them in the things of the Lord, we labored with them on the crofts, we were with them in the family home, and then you took them away, and so many are there, so many preachers of the gospel there in heaven, those who have labored to bring the gospel of the grace of God to generation after generation, people whose words we remember, elders and deacons, Lord, they are with you too. So many people who are mothers in Israel, so many praying people, you've brought them to their home and they feel so at home. Ah, Lord, we rejoice that that is the way it is. And we do look forward to that time when we will be with them together forever in the Lord. But Lord, there's work to be done. And you have asked your church and you've asked each of us as believers to go out in your name and to engage in mission so that there will be nobody, nobody left outside for whom Christ laid down his life. Oh Lord, we would pray that you would raise up preachers of the gospel, raise up many preachers of the gospel in the free church and in other churches, raise up people, Lord, who will give their lives over to mission work here at home and abroad in urban areas and rural areas. We pray that you would bless all who are training for the ministry of the word even now and ask, Lord, that you would shape them. May all their life experience as well as their theological learning come to bear fruit for the days to come. Lord, we pray that you would raise up witnesses for the gospel who may not go into formal teaching ministry, but who may well become elders and deacons and bright Christians, male and female, who will serve you and be a light in the darkness. Lord, will you raise people up and burden them for that work. Lord, we would pray thankful, thankfully that you are the one who is able to bless suffering in the war-torn areas of our world. We ask, Lord, that you would uphold chaplains in the forces, those who are seeking to bring hope to people whose lives have been devastated, even soldiers who pulled the trigger. We ask, Lord, that you'd be with them, that you would help chaplains as to share the gospel with these people. And, oh, Father, we pray that you would bless all the ministries of this church and all that they want to do in the days to come. Supply people, Lord, for all the clubs that they want to run, for all the things that they want to do in your name and for your glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing now from Psalm 85, verses 1 to 7 in the Scottish Psalter. 
Psalm 85 verses 1 to 7. O Lord, thou hast been favourable to thy beloved land. Jacob's captivity thou hast recalled with thy mighty hand. Thou pardoned thy people hast all their iniquities. Thou all their trespasses and sins hast covered from thine eyes. To the end of verse 7, to God's praise. Let's read the word of God now from the Gospel of John and chapter 20. (coughs) John's Gospel and chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you hold, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with Jesus with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put, your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, 
Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May the Lord bless to us that reading of his own holy inspired word. Let's continue singing now in Psalm 85 and we'll sing verses 8 to the end of the psalm. Psalm 85 from verse 8. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. To his folk he'll speak peace and to his saints. But let them not return to foolishness. 8 to the end of God's praise. now to that chapter we read John's Gospel and chapter 20 I'm reading again at verse 19 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came stood among them and said to them peace be with you and so on Last week, last night, sorry, we were looking at 
Christians' peace and the joy of salvation, looking at Psalm 122. This morning we were looking at the, the cost of salvation and Christ in Isaiah 53, 4-6. And tonight, Christians' peace and the message of salvation. Sometimes you only know what people are thinking by the things that they say. If they're silent, it can leave you very uncomfortable because you're never sure what they're actually thinking. But when they say something, you know what they're thinking. And usually what they say tells us something that's important to them. And Jesus here, the word that he says when he meets the disciples after his resurrection from the dead, they are so beautiful, so good, so relevant to all God's people. There's Jesus. He's been brought into the world in incarnation. God and man forever. He lived the perfect life. A life without sin. And then he died the sinner's death. And plunged into the torments of hell. And having done that. You would think that the very climax would be. That he would rise from the dead. And if it was an orchestra playing. You would think at this stage. When the resurrection has happened. That's when all the instruments would come together. To bring the most tremendous finale. But that's not the way Matthew, Mark, Luke or John presented. In some ways when Jesus rises. He rises so quietly. He rises when nobody's there to see it. And he rises in such a way that he's not met by thousands at one time. He's met by a woman here, two women there, a group of disciples here, and a group of disciples plus one a week later. Everything seems so low-key. And that tells you, you see, the resurrection is absolutely marvellous. But it's not the climax. Not by a long shot. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of something so beautiful and so wonderful. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he is ready to send people out on mission. He couldn't do that from heaven. He couldn't do that when he was a babe or an infant or a teenager. He couldn't do that during his public ministry in the same way as he would later. But once he's died, once he's risen again from the dead, now he can send out the church on its mission. And this mission has peace, I suggest, at its heart. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked. The disciples were in fear mode. They weren't sure what was going to happen next. And Jesus just appears in the room. 
He didn't need a key. He didn't need to knock. He just appears in the locked room where these disciples were in fear mode. And he says to those in fear mode, Peace be with you. And that peace is a challenge to their fear. Just as when Jesus was meeting with Mary in the previous paragraph, Why are you weeping? Mary may have thought, I don't have to tell you. It's so obvious. The disciples here, when they're meeting in fear, it's obvious why they're afraid, because there are enemies all around. But then the risen Lord appears in the room with them and just says to them, Peace be with you. Now, you could say, ah, oh, well, everybody said, peace be with you then. It's just as if Jesus appeared in the room and said, hi, hello. But it's not that. Jesus always used the language with great care. And when he said shalom to them, when he said peace to them, he knew what he was saying. This is peace that he could pronounce to them because he has lived and died and risen again. And that's the first thing I want us to notice here. Peace and the presence of Jesus Christ. He came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Don't tell me that Jesus is just saying hi twice, hello twice. He is deliberately underlining this peace. The first time he's appearing as the risen Lord. The second time he says peace to them, he's just shown them his wounds. He says, look, there's the hands that were nailed to the cross. Then he showed them the side where the spear had penetrated. Look, he says, peace be with you. I have endured hell for you. Peace be with you. See, peace and the crucifixion of Jesus. Had he not been crucified, he could not say to them, peace be with you. But that's not enough. A dead Jesus is not enough. Jesus is now risen from the dead. They saw the Lord. You notice that? Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, the risen Lord. And Jesus said to them, yes, peace be with you. I am alive again and I am alive forevermore. There will never be a death notice for Jesus in the future. Jesus died, it's recorded in history. But he will not die again now that he's alive. He's alive forevermore. So he can say, peace be with you, because he was crucified. And peace be with you, because he rose from the dead. But 
but it's more than that. He says, Peace be with you, because as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus. He sent him into the world as a little babe, in the womb of his mother, the Virgin Mary. He sent him into public ministry for the last three years of his life. And he sent him to the cross at the conclusion of that ministry. He sent him into the depths of hell to rescue his people. And he raised him up to heaven, brought him into paradise. And then from paradise, he sent Jesus into that upper room through the locked doors to meet with these people and say, The Father has sent me. Peace be with you. That shalom, you're safe now. You're safe forever. You're safe because I lived for you. I died for you. I am resurrected for you. And the Father has accepted all that I have done for him. And all that I have done for you. And he's the one who has sent me to you this night. Peace and the presence of Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't commission the church with a mere word from heaven. I'm glad he commissioned the church in person. He came. He stood among them when they were afraid. And he said, I have been sent by the Father and I am sending you. Peace. My presence will go with you. Jesus in the Great Commission, so-called, in Matthew 28, he tells them what they are to do. They're to go out to all nations. They're to make disciples. They are to teach these disciples. And then he gives them this promise, I will be with you. But he made that promise when he was with them, just as he does here. I am with you. Peace and the presence of Christ. And you see, could you ever be a missionary? Could you be ever be a witness for the gospel if you didn't know peace yourself? If you only knew fear, would you be able to go out to the streets around the church or speak to the folks in the office? Or share with the unconverted members in the family? Would you be able to share with them the gospel if you didn't know peace yourself? See, Jesus takes time to underscore why they have peace. And I think that God's people need to spend time every day reminded themselves that they have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you have that experience of peace, 
Then you can go out and preach peace. Witness to the peace of the gospel. Once you have experienced it, you can go out. See, Jesus, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Wow! What a template to follow. How did Jesus come? He came as one who was aligned with the Father's will, and the Father sent him because he could trust him. Jesus says, well, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you to continue the mission of the Father. I trust you. Peace be with you. So peace and the presence of Jesus Christ. Secondly, peace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Remarkable. The Holy Spirit. Why is he mentioning the Holy Spirit here? Two things to think about. First of all, the Spirit and Jesus. Second, the Spirit and the disciples. First of all, the Spirit and Jesus. Why is it that Jesus can say to these disciples, receive the Holy Spirit? As if he somehow was in possession of the Holy Spirit. As if he was somebody who was able to authorize the Holy Spirit to go out and to equip these disciples for their mission. But that's exactly it. You see, Jesus, when he came into this world and when he lived his perfect life, could never authorize the Spirit to go out. He could not go to the disciples and say, Receive the Spirit. No. In fact, in John chapter 7, we're told the Spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And until Jesus finished his work on the cross, rose and ascended to heaven, returned to the Father, until he had done all of that, he was not in a position to receive from the Father the gift of the Spirit, so that he could give the Spirit to the church. Jesus had to be glorified for all of that to happen. The upper room discourses, we call them, John 13 to John 17. This evening before Jesus plunged into the depths of the torments of the cross, what did he speak about in these chapters? Well, he spoke about the Father. He spoke about the Spirit. He spoke about the mission. And he spoke about the disciples. He gave teaching to the disciples on what they were to be like. He told them the mission that they would engage in. And then he told them, you need the Holy Spirit to engage in this mission. He kept on talking about the Holy Spirit. They need the Holy Spirit. I'm sure when Peter and the others were hearing this, 
It went right over their head. They didn't understand it. They thought they already had the Spirit. And of course they had been converted by the Spirit of God. But they hadn't been equipped to go out and share the gospel by the power of the Spirit. They couldn't do that because there wasn't yet the full gospel to share. But once Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, then Jesus is in a position to actually breathe on them and say, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the age of the Holy Spirit. When God created man, he did it after he created the whole universe. He did it after he created all other forms of life. And then he created the man. And the man was made of dust. And then he breathed into man. And man became a living being. That began the age of man. When God breathed into him the breath of life. Well, something new is happening now. Because Jesus, with this small group of terrified disciples, he announces peace to them. He says that they are going to continue the mission that the Father had sent him on. And then he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. <coughs> when God breathed in Genesis 2, life began in these people. There was a new creation for them, a new beginning, a sense of purpose. Now Jesus breathes into them. There's something new, a new beginning and a new purpose. They would need the Holy Spirit in order to become missionaries of the gospel. Why? Well, the Spirit is the one who will lead them into the teaching concerning Jesus. He'll give them understanding. He'll give them wisdom. He'll give them to know what to preach. He'll give them the courage to preach. He'll help them to rule. He'll help them to judge. He'll help them to be compassionate. He'll help them to be counsellors. The Holy Spirit is what they all need. And you know, I am a, a touch afraid that the 21st century church somehow at least gives the impression that it doesn't need the Spirit of God. It's got its techniques. It's got its message. It's got its technology. Do we really need the Spirit? Do we need the Spirit to help us to know the message? To have the courage to proclaim it? Can we change any lives? No, we can't. Can the Spirit who preaches through us, who witnesses through us, can He change lives? Yes, He can. Can we predict 
that at six o'clock on a Lord's Day evening that the Spirit will be present to change lives? No, we can't. Can we call for a revival meeting and say we'll have a revival meeting at 11 o'clock next Saturday morning? No, we can't do that. It's not in our role to do that at all. We need the Spirit of God. But we do not dictate where the Spirit of God works, when he works, whom he changes. We don't do that. But we need the Spirit of God. When you think of these disciples, they were told that they were going to go out to all the nations with the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Man, they haven't left Galilee, some of them. They haven't gone outside their own villages. They've never sailed across the Mediterranean. What do you mean, go and make disciples of all nations? Had I been among them, I would have been shaking with fear. And yet here's the Lord saying, no, no, you're going to do it. You see, Jesus... He can die for his people. He can live for his people. But he is not the one who reaches human beings with the gospel. At least not directly. He chooses to use the people who have been saved. The people who know his peace are the ones he uses to preach the gospel of peace. Now you might say, ah well, that was a poor decision by God. Be very careful. You might think that God could have done it in a much more powerful way. If he chose, for example, just to, like we said last night, with laser-like energy, target people, target this person, this woman, this boy, this girl, that he could just directly, by his spirit, change those people. You might think that that would be the best way to do it. God says no. No, he says, I want to use the weak things of the world. I want to use those in the world things of as nothing. I want to use people who know that they do not have the strength of themselves and I'm going to equip them with the Spirit. Give me a fisherman who's never been to Edinburgh Theological Seminary and I will equip that fisherman to share the Gospel. Give me a lady who's never ever done a hire in her life. Give me that lady. Give her pleurisy. Bring her to the point of death. Bring her to experience the peace of the gospel. And I'll use that lady and I'll equip her by the Spirit. Give me people who know their weakness. And I'll give them the Holy Spirit of God. But don't you ever think that if you can be clever, then you can be an evangelist. Don't ever think that once you get your degrees, 
then you're going to be an evangelist. I wholeheartedly believe in training all our full-time preachers and teachers, definitely. And I do believe in the Saturday course to stretch the Christian's mind, man and woman, boy and girl, definitely. But I wouldn't like anyone to have the impression that you need that in order to be a missionary for the Lord. God uses the nobodies, the nothings, the weak ones. He can also use the clever ones. He can use Peter as a fisherman and he can use Paul as a learned rabbi. Of course he can. But they all need the Spirit of God. More than that, God needs people who love holiness. Do you notice the word there? Receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we talk an awful lot about the Spirit. Oh yes, the church needs the Spirit. Yes, the church needs the Spirit to equip her to understand. And yes, we talk about spiritual gifts given to us by the Spirit. Fascinating how often we miss out the adjective Holy Spirit. You give the Holy Spirit to people who love holiness. And that's why they are, like ourselves, we, are, we feel so out of place at times as Christians. We feel we've let the Lord down in ever so many ways. We feel unworthy, and rightly so, to have the Holy Spirit of God closer to us than our very breath. He's so close. <laughs> Christians whom the Lord will use are those who are aware of the holiness of the Holy Spirit who equips them to go out with the message of the gospel. It's more than that though. Those of you who had to parse this sentence receive the Holy Spirit. If I asked you what mood is that verb in? Is it a statement? No. Is it a command? Yes. It's in the imperative. Receive the Holy Spirit. He's asking them to do something. Receive the Holy Spirit. As if I went to one of my six kids and I had a gift in my hand to give them and I said, receive the gift. It wouldn't be right for them just to sit back and wait. No, no. I expect them to come and take the Spirit, to take the gift. So when Jesus says here, receive the Holy Spirit, he wants them to approach him to receive the Spirit. Why him? Because he's just breathed on them. As if he was saying to them, I am now the source of the Spirit of God. 
receive the Spirit. Ask me for the Holy Spirit. And do you know what? For the next while, that's what they did. They prayed for the Holy Spirit. Jesus ministered among them. And then in Acts 1, he was taken up for the final time to heaven. Ten days later, the church was in prayer. What do you think the church was in prayer for? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Big work to do. Let's pray about the mission. Yes, but remember what Jesus said. Receive the Spirit. They didn't receive the Spirit that day. But he told them that day from whom they would receive the Spirit. He breathed on them. He asked them to approach him to receive the Spirit. And they did. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out upon the church of Jesus Christ. And then she began to speak. If that hadn't happened, then this new building would not have been built in 1993-1994. The gospel would not have reached Scotland unless the Holy Spirit had been received. Jesus promised the Spirit. He asks them, receive the Spirit. It takes humility. It takes humility to receive the Spirit. That means that you can't casually go and preach, go and speak, go and share the gospel. No, you've got to receive the Spirit. And my friends, it's not a one-off. Pentecost is a one-off. The risen Lord poured out his Spirit upon the church. But on a daily basis, we need to ask and receive that we might continue to witness and share the gospel. This is the age of the glorified Jesus who reigns over the universe. This is the age of the Holy Spirit and this is the age of the church of the risen Lord Jesus equipped by the Holy Spirit to go out and do the most amazing work in reaching people with the gospel. Peace is what results. Many, many people come to receive the peace of which Jesus speaks because this church goes out with the Spirit. And finally, briefly, we had peace and the presence of Jesus Christ, peace and the gift of the Holy Spirit, now peace and the mission of the Father. What's the mission? What's the focus? Verse 23. 
If ye forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If ye withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Well, that's short. That's short. I would have liked longer, perhaps. You might have asked, give us a little bit more. Why are we going to need the Spirit? Because you've got a mission to engage in. What's, give us this mission, give us a summary of it, a few paragraphs. Well, he says, let me tell you this. The mission is to do with sin. It's to do with sins being forgiven. And it's to do with sins not being forgiven. That's the mission of the church. It's to do with sin and the seriousness of sin. It's to do with sin and the forgiveness of sin. And it's to do with sin and telling people there's only one way to be forgiven. The gospel is exclusive. What's the mission to do with sin? What must the church speak about? Sin. What's the most unpopular message today? Sin. What is the big caricature of what the Christian church is like? It talks about sin. So what do we want to do to please the world around us, to make the church more attractive? Stop talking about sin. But you know what happens when we stop talking about sin? Sins are not forgiven. Do you want people to be forgiven their sins? As they share the gospel, as they hear the gospel, the gospel that talks about their sin and the gospel that they hear and they receive talks about sins being forgiven. Yes, the church has no right to go out and talk about sin without talking about how sin can be forgiven. And the church has no right to go out and talk about sin without saying to people there's only one way by which sins can be forgiven. Every other way is cancelled. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Through this gospel message that the Spirit will equip you to share. And if, as it says there, you withhold forgiveness. Why would we withhold forgiveness from any? Well, if they say to us, well, I'll find another way of forgiveness. I don't need Jesus. I've got another religion. Or I can plumb the depths of my own being. I can look deep within myself. I can find my own true self. No. No, says Jesus. <coughs> if anyone comes to you like that, then you must withhold forgiveness. And it will be withheld. <coughs> what a mission the church has given. To talk about sin. How it may be forgiven. And to talk about sin. And the only way. By which it's forgiven.
Listen, that's the message that the church must get back to in every century. We're always under pressure. I'm reading a book just now, Selina, the Countess of Huntington. Wonderful, wonderful, high-up lady who lived on Downing Street, 11 Downing Street, would you believe? Very, very wealthy. Became a beautiful Christian. And she is somebody that would invite George Whitefield or John and Charles Wesley or Howell Harris to her home. And then she would invite all the higher people, all the aristocrats, and they would come and they would hear the gospel. And some of them were changed. See, that was Selina, the Countess of Huntington, doing her bit. She was not afraid to bring in people who would talk about sin. And these were in the days of the great revivals of the 18th century. Find me a revival in which sin is not mentioned. It's not there. Sin, we have to mention it to our loved ones. Yes, there's a way to mention sin. There's a way to mention sin with humility. Because you're a sinner yourself. And you've been forgiven. Hence you can go and share about the way your sins were forgiven. And if somebody shrugs their shoulders, you have to say to them, don't do that. Don't do that. Your sins need to be forgiven. And if you don't come to Christ, then they will be withheld, fixed forever. Terrible situation. That's the mission that we are sent on by the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and the presence of Jesus Christ. Peace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peace and the mission of the Father. I am not at peace if I'm not preaching the gospel of peace. You're not at peace if you're not sharing the gospel of peace. You know it. And you're not at peace if you haven't received that gospel for yourself. I'm asking you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and do it immediately. Immediately. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would oh, bring, bring home to our hearts the truth of what is spoken of in that passage. We thank you, Lord, that you are risen, you reign. The whole universe is under your auspices. You are the one whose eyes can see everything. You are the one, Lord, before whom nothing is hidden. And you equip your church, not in one generation, but in every generation, 
You equip them in the first century, the 21st century, the 41st century if be. Lord, you equip. They need the spirit that you are so willing to give. Lord, we pray that you would build up your church. Will you bring days when the church is firmly focused upon sin? (coughs) Because they know that they are sinners themselves preaching to those who need forgiveness. (coughs) Be with this congregation. Bless them, Lord, abundantly. Give them more than they can ask or think. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close now by singing from Psalm 51 in Sing Psalms, verses 7 to 15. Psalm 51. And I hope this is your prayer as it is mine. Cleanse with hyssop, purify me. Promise, I'll be whiter than the snow. Let the bones you crushed be joyful. May I joy and gladness know. From my failure, hide your face. Blot out all my wickedness. Beautiful. Let's sing this to God's praise. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.